Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You can be seated. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here this morning with you, uh, to be back with you. It's actually been, a, I don't know, several years, three years, maybe something like that. And um, it, it's, I, it's wonderful to hear all the great things that God is doing here. And look at all of your beautiful faces today. Wow, I think you look prettier than you did last time I was here. <laughs> what are you doing? It's wonderful. I'm happy to have my wife with me. Donna, would you just stand, my little wife Donna here? <laughs> Donna never gets any older. Can't, people can't believe it. We've been married 44 years, and she doesn't even look like she's much older than that. Now, me, that's a different story. But <laughs> Anyway, uh, we, we have four sons. Some of you remember me telling this. Four sons and... Uh, we have five grandchildren, and uh, two of our grandchildren, our little grandchildren, brother and sister, one is named Roe, the boy is Roe, and then Ansley, and when Roe, Ansley was six, and Roe was four years old, and Roe decided one, or Roe conjured up this, um, this imaginary friend. And so he took this imaginary friend with him wherever he went. He played in his, they played in the room together, and he called this friend Pizza. This is true, true story. So he had his friend Pizza, and Pizza and Roe would do everything together. So one day Roe decided to start a church in his room. And when he did, he installed Pizza as pastor. So he called him Pastor Pizza. And Pastor Pizza and Roe were having a great time in church day after day until one day, Roe's sister, Ansley, decided that she, Ansley decided that she wanted to join the church. And so Ansley came in and said, Roe, I want to join the church. So Roe and Pastor Pisa talked it over, and they decided to let Ansley, Ansley join their church in Roe's room. And so they were having a good time for a couple of days until Ansley made Roe mad. And when Ansley made Roe mad, Roe kicked Ansley out of his church. You ready for this? You know what Ansley did? She proceeded to go to her room and start another church. <laughs> I thought, I didn't know kids did that. I thought just adults do that kind of stuff. It's amazing, isn't it? It worried me because now my son, we pastored our church for 36 years, and then now as of, as of a year and a half ago, my son, one of my sons is pastoring that church, and, uh, and it's Roe and Ansley's father. So I hope he didn't get it from them. Are y'all happy today? Yeah. Are y'all ready for a big word today? Yeah. How many of y'all ready for just a nice little milk toast word? No, you want something strong and powerful? Yeah. All right, here we go. I want you to do this with me, if you will. If you, would you stand to your feet just one more time with me? And I want you to stand while I pray. And then I'm going to enter into this. I feel so passionately about this today. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just humble myself before you now, and I ask you, God, 
to take my lips of clay and anoint me, God, to speak this word today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the power of your Holy Spirit invade the hearts of men and women in this house today. Let not one person escape the glory of your presence, Lord God. Let them not escape the, the sword of your spirit, God. Father God, let your word... God, be an explosive power in people's lives today that literally transforms us. Doesn't just improve our lives, but transforms us. Father, we just thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place and upon me today to speak this word in Jesus Christ's name. And everybody shout a big amen. 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 You can be seated. Here we go. You know, to introduce this message, you've got to understand that I've been preaching a long time, and over the last handful of years, something has begun to, I would say it this way, it has begun to stir up in me uh, again from the past, some things that, that I never really, I, I would say I, I never really in any way denied, but I drifted from, and now I have returned to. And I want to explain to you what it is. Today, we have an issue in the larger body of Christ to where that we have come to the place where we are, where there's more preaching about helping people to live a better life than there is the preaching of the gospel that has the power to transform the life. When, when Jesus came, he never came telling you how to cope with anything. He, told, he came and told us how to cast the things out, how to get freedom from stuff, how to, how to be transformed in our lives. And so, you know, I've, in recent years, I've been brought back to a, a deeper passion for the core elements of the gospel. Because that's where the power is. The power is resident within the gospel to transform our lives. You know, I teach a lot about marriage or finances or how to deal with stress or fear and all those things. And, and we do deal with those issues. But if we deal with those issues alone without the core message of the gospel, then your life will just be a little bit better. But if I can show you where the power source is, then you can run off the bondages that literally hold you in some of the things that bind your life. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Now, when we come to the core of the gospel, there's nothing more core than the blood. Everybody shout the blood. Here we go. So today, my title of my message is, you ready for this? Satan, the blood is against you. Mm, that sounds aggressive, doesn't it? Satan, the blood, is against you. When I get thinking about this, I get to think, I become somewhat poetic in my soul. And I want to just read this to you. Listen to this. I need thy blood. I need thy blood, Lord Jesus. My heart is full of sin. I need that fount to cleanse me and make me pure within. For I am vile and wretched, my sin I cannot hide. Thy blood is all I plead for, my Savior crucified. Without thy blood, Lord Jesus, forever I am lost. Without thy blood to wash me, I bear my sin and shame. 
Then dreadful wrath surrounds me, and death and hell are nigh. Oh, cleanse me, precious Savior, for without thee I die. I plead thy blood, Lord Jesus, my only hope is here. No argument prevaileth, but blood inclines thy ear. Oh, hear this hopeless sinner. For thine own sake I pray, deliver me from evil and take my sins away. I need thy blood, Lord Jesus, no other blood will do. But thine the blood that frees us and makes the spirit new. For we are unclean sinners, and oft in sin I go. I come to thee, Lord Jesus, now wash me white as snow. The blood of Jesus sprinkled upon my sinful heart destroys the power of Satan and holiness imparts. When neath the blood of Jesus no sin in me is found, covered with blood from Jesus, my sins are at once are drowned. There is no blood like Jesus, so mighty and so free. There is no blood more precious than Jesus' blood to me. Though as the chief of sinners, for me there still is blood. Here cleansing I find daily beneath that crimson flood. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I like this. Listen. Wait, I'm not through. Hold on. One drop of blood from Jesus is of eternal worth. One drop of blood from Jesus can cleanse this sinful earth. Yet you must hide in Jesus. His blood must cleanse your heart. For without faith in Jesus, God's wrath will not depart. There is no blood like Jesus. It's worth no words can tell. This blood of Christ is priceless. It saves from lowest hell. Yet it is freely given. And there's enough for all. By grace, you may have it. Hear now the gospel call. Wash in the blood of Jesus, you who the law has cursed. Wash in the blood of Jesus, you who, have, you who have sinned the worst. This blood of Christ will cleanse you from every sin you've done. This blood will make you righteous as if you had done none. The blood of Jesus covers the highest mount of sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses the very worst of men. Where once the heart was heavy, this blood brings perfect peace. One sight of Christ's blood flowing gives joy that will never cease. Between my sins and justice, my Savior came and stood. He took the wrath appointed and bore what none else could. His righteous blood flowed free freely. The sword was satisfied, and never will it strike us who on this blood relied. Is that powerful? Yeah, hallelujah. I love stuff like that because I think of how that in past years, you know, when I was growing up, there were a lot of songs we used to sing about the blood of Jesus, and you don't hear them so much anymore. But it brings me to this, Exodus chapter 12. Look at this with me. The night before God delivers the Israelites from Egypt, he gives Moses this message, and here's what it is in Exodus 12, 3. He says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth of this morning, Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from, like, from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. That's significant, where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. 
I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land, the land of Egypt. This is the original Passover from which all Passovers emanate from. On this original Passover, God institutes this idea of a gospel of blood. But really the gospel of blood doesn't start here. It starts all the way back in the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned and God had to slay an animal and shed innocent blood in order to cover the, the nakedness of man with the skin of that innocent blood. And we see blood all the way through the Bible, Old and New Testament, which is interesting because in the generation which we live today, and this is one of the reasons I feel so passionate about preaching this, you know, here this morning, is that in our culture today, there has become such a vague general idea and even confusing ideas about what Christianity is, what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the offending parts of the gospel that trips people up is this thing of blood. I've heard people say, say, I cannot follow Jesus or the, the, the Jesus of the Bible or the Christianity of the Bible because it's too bloody of a gospel. I cannot believe in a gospel that is so filled with gore, so filled with a, uh, with a messy cross and with blood all over the place. And, you know, what they tell us is that they want a nice, clean Jesus, a nice, sterile Jesus, you know, one that is kind of nice and meek and, and weak and wears a halo and carries a lamb, you know, and a long flowing robe and, you know, doesn't really offend anybody. But let me just tell you this. This lion, this Jesus that we serve is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This Jesus came with blood. And there is no gospel without blood. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a gospel of blood. From the trail of blood all through the Old Testament, from the, the, the sacrificing of lambs, of animals by the Levitical priesthood. There were millions of lambs that were slain in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of blood all the way to the cross. And we see the very essence of the, the, the center of this gospel that we believe in. The, 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 the reason we sit here today, the reason we sit here today, the core of it is all about blood. We can talk about the cross, we can talk about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the beating on Jesus' back, all of those things. But no, those things would mean nothing if it were not for the fact that innocent blood was shed. It's only blood that makes the cross meaningful. Come on, listen to what I'm saying. It's only the blood that makes the death meaningful. It's only the blood that gives the resurrection any meaning. I know our faith is in the resurrection, but resurrected from what? Resurrected to newness of life because innocent blood was shed for guilty blood. So, you know, when you understand the gospel, what the gospel really is, 
then the, the, the idea of a gospel of blood doesn't seem, you know, it's not offensive, but it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And some of you may say, well, how can you say that, that, that blood is beautiful? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's the essence of this message today. I want to take you to, on a short journey with me into the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. What is the secret of the blood of Jesus? This is my passion. Because I can stand here the rest of the time and preach nice little things about, oh, it's the blood, the blood, the blood. We all shout, praise God, go home. What does that mean? Let's delve into the secret of the power of the blood of Jesus. What is the secret of it? And here's where it starts. The secret of the blood of Jesus, it begins with the fact that God, the way he created man, we have to understand how we got our blood in the first place. Whenever God created everything else, it was just with a word. But when God made man, he took uh, earth and he lumped it together in a nice little lump and I guess and shaped it into this body. And then he gets down over this piece of clay and he breathes in to the nostrils of this hunk of clay, the breath of life, which is his own life. God's very own life came out of himself into man. And when he did, man became a living being. The reason was is because life, the life of God, brought the nature of God into us. Life and breath are the same. Their spirit and breath are the same thing in the Bible. God's spirit was birthed into us as his life came into us. Now, here's the thing. Secondly, this. We are created by the very essence of the nature of God, the life of God, being birthed inside of us. What we have to understand, secondly, is what Genesis chapter 9, verse 4 says, and that is that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, listen to this. In other words, I can't, there's some things you can't wrap your mind around, and this is one of them. But you just know it's, it says it in Scripture, so it's true. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So here's what happened. When God breathed his nature into man, his life into man, his life in us created our blood in us. And the life is in the blood. We know that the moment that the blood is extracted from our body, there is no more life because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Y'all with me now? So the thing is, is that somehow, when again, I've, I've said and pondered this and can't wrap my mind around how it, how it works, but it is this way, that the life of God is in us and the life of, and, and the life of our flesh is in the blood. Thirdly, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, they, they were separated from God, the nature of God in them went dark went dead, and the moment it did, their blood became corrupted by that sin. Are you with me now? So now, man, through his sin, the life of his flesh was in his blood, and through his sin, his blood had come, become corrupted. So man became a creature with corrupted blood. And when man became a creature with corrupted blood... God all of a sudden has a problem. And here's the problem. That corrupted blood was passed down generation after generation 
to, our very, to, to, to this very day. The reason is, is because what Romans 5.12 says, it says, through one man's sin and death through sin spread to all men. Some might think that, you know, why is it that I'm held accountable today for a man's sin thousands of years ago? And it's not like that. It's not like that God is somehow volitionally imputing on you, saying, I'm, I'm cursing you or somehow judging you because of some th sin thousands of years ago. You must understand the sin corrupted the blood where the DNA is. And that DNA was passed down. The DNA of sin, of separation from God of darkness, where the nature of darkness was passed down generation to generation to our day. So we're not held accountable for it as in a, in a court of law. We're held accountable because, because we are the ancestors of Adam and Eve. I mean, we are the descendants of Adam and Eve. Are you listening to me? So here's the thing. Now God has a problem. What is the problem? Well, God wants to get his ch children back into relationship with himself, but their blood has been corrupted and the problem is, a price has to be paid to get man back, but it can't be guilty blood that pays the price for guilty blood. You have to have innocent blood to pay the price. Are y'all still following me today? Come on now, I'm going somewhere. Innocent blood to pay the price for guilty blood. And so anyway, watch this. When God had to have the innocent blood to pay the price for guilty blood, you have to understand something about blood in the first place. And this is where I, I come unglued. Listen to this. And that is, if you look at medical science, medical science teaches us that, that whenever a woman carries a baby in her body, that Throughout that pregnancy, there is not one drop of blood that is passed from the mother to the child. Not one. Even though there are a lot of other things like fats and proteins and minerals that pass to the child. And this is gross, you know, but the child passed waste back to the mother. No wonder she's so tired. Isn't it? So she passes all these things to, to this baby, but not one drop of the woman's blood is passed down to the baby. It's the father that delivers the blood to the baby in the womb. Are you with me now? That's so important to know for this reason. And that is that when God needed to redeem man, he knew he had given man legal authority in this earth to rule and his physical body man's physical body is what gave him the right to rule in this earth and to reign in this earth and man through his sin handed that authority over to satan now man lost it in order to get it back jesus knew it he it took a, a a legal body the only thing that gives us the, the authority to operate in this earth is the fact that we have a physical body that gives us legality in operating in this earth. So God knew the legal body lost it, and God had to have a legal body in this earth operating in order to get it back. The problem was he needed a legal body, but he couldn't have any of the blood in that body in order to pay the price. Anybody out there today? Listen to this. So, hallelujah.
So anyway, know this, that the blood, let's go back just a moment. The blood comes from the daddy, not from the mama. She offers no blood. In fact, there's a test that can be taken if there's any doubt about who the daddy is. It's called a paternity test, and it's a blood test. And, the, and, and when that blood test comes back, it's proof of who the daddy is. Whether you say you is the daddy or not, if that blood test says you is, you is the daddy. Because blood, oh, listen to this. Blood does not lie. Blood is proof of life. Hallelujah. Blood is proof of who your daddy is. Blood is proof of who you belong to. Blood is proof of what DNA is on the inside of you. So what does God do? Listen to this. I love this. We see the plan of redemption way back before God ever created man or anything else. In this way, watch this. The Bible says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, which means that God knew before he ever created us or before he created anything else, God already knew that man was going to sin. He was going to fall away from him, and he was going to need a redeemer to get him back. And before God ever made us, he knew he was going to have to pay the price to get us back. So watch this. God knew that he was going to need a body without the DNA of the blood in that body. So God created, designed the body of woman before he ever did anything. He made a plan to design the body of woman where she carries the legal body but no blood and man is the contributor of the blood. So when it comes time to redeem the human race, he can get a legal body, hallelujah, from Mary, but he can provide his own blood into that body. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. It's called the incarnation. Hallelujah. Makes me want to run around the church. Glory to God. Feel a little Pentecostal today. So here we go. Are you ready? Listen to this. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Listen to this. I love this. You know why I love this? Well, you get excited about this. You better believe it. I'm tired of all this weak preaching. Give me something that's got teeth to it. Give me something that'll bring me out of the midnight hour, that'll run the devil off out of the, my kid's life. Give me something that'll heal the sick and cast out devils. Five points on how to overcome stress. Ain't going to run any devil off. But you get to preaching about the blood of Jesus, how that innocent blood was injected into a legal body. And pay the price. Wow. The devil is terrified. Because he knows that's who 2,000, what 2,000 years ago destroyed him of his power. Somebody shout hallelujah. So watch this. So, so as a result, here we come. All these years later, John 1.29. John the Baptist, he's baptizing people at Jordan River. He sees Jesus coming down the road. As he sees him, he looks up and he says about Jesus. He points, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. 
the, behold, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. Now listen to this. And then we come to three and a half years later. And on A.D. 33, listen to this. A, keep in mind all that I've told you up to this point. In A.D. 33, Jesus is 33 years old. And on the first day of Passover, A.D. 33, there are two scenes playing out on two different sides of Jerusalem. Don't miss this. Two scenes, one over here and one over on this side of Jerusalem. Here's what's happening. Over on this side of Jerusalem, on the first day of Passover, 33 AD, there are thousands of Levitical priests who are picking out, seeking out and picking out lambs that are spotless, that are, that are innocent, that have no blemish to prepare them to be a sacrifice. Thousands and thousands of them are being picked out. Now watch this. Over on this side of Jerusalem, on that same day, the first day of Passover, Jesus comes riding into town on the back of a donkey. And people begin to put palm branches down before him, and they're worshiping him and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they called him the king of the Jews. Listen to this. They thought this was Jesus' coronation. They didn't understand that God was picking out his lamb. So we have Old Testament over here, and we have New Testament over here. And then we go three days later, and it's the day of preparation. On the day of preparation, the priest would begin to prepare all these animals to be sacrificed. And then these animals, their blood is shed. Historians tell us that on this side of Jerusalem, there were so many lambs that were, uh, that were slain that day to be sacrificed that there was literally a river of blood flowing all the way down the Kidron Valley. While that was going on, here's what's happening on this side of Jerusalem. It's the day that Judas betrays Jesus. And, he, and he's taken prisoner and examined by the chief priests. The chief priests hand him over to Pilate. The Pilate hands him over to Herod. And Herod hands him over to the angry mob. And the angry mob says, let's crucify him. They hung him on the cross at 9 a.m. And he breathed his last breath at 3 p.m. When he breathed his last breath at 3 p.m., the sky went dark, the earthquake, the rock split, the graves were opened. Listen to this. One drop of that infinite blood touching this sin-cursed earth brought the whole of creation into convulsions. I, listen to this. I love this. Listen to this. So, the rocks split. The grays open. The sky goes dark. Whew. Jesus died. Three days later, he raises from the dead to newness of life. 
He says, all authority of heaven and earth has been given unto me. He had the keys of hell, death, and the grave. Now listen to me now. But that's not where I camp. Here's where I want to, where I want to camp a moment. Listen to this. There's a little used or talked about part of the story when we talk about the gospel story that has such an, uh, an important part to play in the blood message. And that is that on that third day when Jesus was raised from the dead, Mary comes to the tomb just before daylight. It was still dark, the Bible says. And when she comes to the tomb, she looks in the tomb and sees that his body, Jesus' body, is gone. And so she sees two angels there, and she cries out to them. She says, what have you done with this Jesus? And before they can answer, she feels something behind her. She turns around, and she, it's, it's Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And so she cries out to him. She says, where have you taken him? Have you done something with him? If you have, tell me that I may take him. And take care of him. And the Bible says at that moment, Jesus just said, Mary. And I mean, it must have been, Mary. Because that moment, the scales came off of her eyes. And she lunged for his feet. The Bible says she started to cling to his feet. Listen, the only time the Bible says this. Jesus pushed her back. Never in any other moment did he push anybody back from embracing him. He pushed her back. He said, no, no, you can't cling to me. Why? Listen to this. You can't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my father with my blood. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he ascended into the holy place with his blood. Listen to this. He was saying to Mary, Mary, yes, I paid the price. Yes, I've been raised to newness of life. But you see, I've got this bowl of blood in my hands. My innocent blood shed for guilty blood. And I have yet to ascend to the throne room. I've got to take this blood, present it to the Father, and Him say, well done. And then I have to pour this blood over the mercy seat of heaven, Mary, so it can be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now listen, and Mary, that's important for you to know. Because the reason that blood will be there for you ever and ever is because forever after this, any time the devil comes to you and accuses you, saying you're not good enough, look what you've done, you've been a mess, look how you failed, you faltered, you don't deserve God. How can you expect God to pick you up again? All of those things, the condemnation, the guilt, the judgment, he says, Mary, every time some of that judgment comes, he said, know this, I am going to be sitting there before the Father and say, Father, yes, all that may be true, but look, my blood has covered it all. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Is that good? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now listen to this. The reason that's so important is simply because there probably some of you already knew a good portion of what I said. Maybe some of you didn't. But even of those of you who did, it's one thing to hear messages about the blood of Jesus. Even sing songs about it. Say you believe in it. 
Oh, yes, I believe in the blood of Jesus. It was shed for my sins. But you know one thing that we see that's of great importance in this story in Exodus chapter 12? In this beginning of Passover, we see here that it wasn't enough to have the blood shed, innocent blood for guilty blood. It wasn't enough for them to sacrifice the lamb and then look at it and say, yeah, there it is. Let's make a song about it. Or let's preach about that bloody mess right there, the blood of Jesus or the blood of the lamb. The Bible says that God told them you have to take that blood, pick it up, and you need to paint the door of your house with it. And when you paint the door of your house with this blood, when I see the blood on your doorhouse, the death angel will pass over you and not touch you. And I begin to realize that the blood has to be picked up off of the cross and applied to the door of your household and to the door of your life, your body, your spirit, your soul, to the door of your kids, your marriage, your finances, every part of your life. The blood is to be applied to your life. I can imagine those people in Exodus 12, those Israelites, some of those old little mamas out there painting their door in the middle of the night with the blood, and all of a sudden, it, you know, somebody comes by and hears them, and all they hear is this, this little, little mama, she's saying, yeah, ain't no death angel going to get my kids. No, you bondage, you, you ain't going to get near my house. I'm painting my door with the blood of Jesus. And it, it, listen, it made me think about when I was a kid growing up in church, in the church I grew up in, there were these little old prayer warriors. Now, I'll be honest with you, most of them were women. There were a few men. And these little old ladies, they would pray. And I say that with all due respect, my dear ladies. They, they would pray and pray. And I would hear them as a little kid. And I didn't get it all, didn't understand it. Because nobody ever explained to me, you know. And I, as a kid, I would hear them in these prayer meetings praying, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Oh, I plead the blood of Jesus. I bleed the blood, I bleed the blood, I bleed. I used to kind of make light of it. Yeah, I bleed. I would go around and say, I bleed the blood, I bleed the blood, I bleed the blood. I, I thought it was funny. I didn't understand what they were doing. But then I began to understand. Ah, as I began to study this. These little old ladies that, to be honest with you at that time, they didn't even know much theology. But they were applying great authority. In the courtroom of the universe, approaching the ruler of all things. Ah, hallelujah. Appealing to the judgment that was made at the cross because of the blood of Jesus. They, ah, you're with me now. They were taking that blood and say, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. We're painting the door house of our house, door of our house with the blood of Jesus. You're not getting our kids. You're not going to have our marriage. You're not going to have our family. You're not going to have our finance. You're not going to have my physical body. Are you with me now? It's through the blood of Jesus being applied. You've got to pick that blood up, folks. How long has it been since in prayer you thought about the blood and taken? Don't exert yourself so strong against the problem. Just stand back and let the blood do the work and say, in the name of Jesus, the blood is against you, Satan. There's a little old woman. Listen to this. There's a little old woman that was in her house one day, 
And she was in the bathtub. This blew me away when I heard the story. She was in the bathtub taking a bath, and somebody broke into her house, comes into the house, and the guy break, get, get, breaks into the bathroom, and he's going to, wants to go into rape her. And this little, little mama, this guy didn't know what he was getting into. He, now he's in the bathroom. And when she sees him heading towards her, this little woman, she grabs a towel, puts it around her, and takes her finger, and she says, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. The blood of Jesus is, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And she kept saying that. She got up out of that bathtub, wrapped that thing around her, kept walking, and she walked him right out the door and out on the, until he was outside on the sidewalk. Ah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody give praise to Jesus. The blood of Jesus is against you. Folks, let me tell you, please don't underestimate the power you have in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Wield that authority in prayer. Speak it in the name of Jesus. Proclaim it. Worship over it. Are you listening to me? There is nothing the devil fears more than the blood. You listen to me. Come on, everybody stand to your feet with me. Everybody stand to your feet with me, and I want you to just say this really strong in faith. Would you just shout out, say, say, there's nothing Satan fears more than the blood of Jesus. Come on. Now, that sounds like a bit of confusion. Let's say it all together. Satan, there's, there, there's nothing Satan fears more than the blood of Jesus. Come on, shout out. Nothing Satan fears more. Say this. So, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I apply that blood to my own body that you should not touch my body, Satan. I apply it to my household, to my kids. I plead the blood of Jesus over my kids. I claim the blood of Jesus over my marriage, over my whole family. Come on, say, I claim the blood over my finances. I have victory in the blood, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ha, come on now, shout praise unto him right now.